You're right in D.C. with Gail Trotter. This is Gail Trotter, host of Right in D.C. Today, my guest is Kaylee McEnany. She is the Republican National Committee's national spokesperson. She holds a law degree from Harvard Law School. She's also an author of a book called New American Revolution, The Making of a Populist Movement. She's also married to a professional baseball pitcher, Sean Gilmartin. Kaylee, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Gail. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed getting to know you over the last year, meeting in the green room at various uh, at Fox and various other places that we have both been. And I wanted to have you on the show today for several reasons. Uh, a lot of women are criticized for being conservatives and women who are supportive of President Trump and this administration and the strong women that he has surrounding him and uh, trying to continue to have America first and put in good conservative job creating policies like Kellyanne Conway, Mercy Schlapp, uh, Ivanka Trump, who's an excellent ambassador of women's entrepreneurship. They take a lot of flack for their support of this administration. So I wanted to have you on to talk about you and uh, talk with you and really kind of hone down into why uh, you took this job and why you're supportive of this administration and the Republican Party. Right. Well, this president has been a strong supporter of women. You just look at the results that have uh, come about because of his administration, female unemployment, uh, hitting record lows. You look at the fact that he's carved out places in two of his budgets for paid family leave. This is something that Democrats have spoken about, but it's an issue upon which President Trump has acted. Uh, it would make a big difference for working mothers all across the country. Uh, and of course, uh, addressing human trafficking, that's something Ivanka Trump has done. Uh, and women entrepreneurship is another place that this administration has really invested its time and its efforts. And women in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, uh, these are all key places where they've delivered for women. Uh, but you wouldn't know half of that, if not any of it, if you were watching the mainstream media, who has an obsession with Russia collusion and all of the nonsense we see. Uh, and they have an aversion to talk talking about the issues, because when you're talking about the issues, President Trump is winning because he's delivered. So you're right to say all of those great women you mentioned are demonized because of their support for the president. It's a real shame uh, because they've delivered for women across this country. You've been in your current role as spokesperson for the RNC for a, over a little over a year now. What has surprised you most about this job? You know, I think what surprised me most uh, is is really just um, the way that the RNC is an extension of the president, which that's how it should be. That is the theory that we're the political arm of the president. But going in, you know, I wasn't entirely sure, uh, you know, what the RNC would be like. Um, you know, it is considered, uh, you know, it's a Republican National Committee. Some have said, oh, that's the establishment. Well, that's not the case. Uh, coming in here under the leadership of Ronna McDaniel, it's very far from that. In fact, this this. Committee under her leadership is 
fully behind the president. Every single morning, the marching orders is how or how can we support the president and his agenda. Uh, so I guess, you know, I was surprised by the RNC working as it always was intended to do, being a seamless arm of the president. And I think we can credit Ronna McDaniel for that, uh, for making the RNC the strongest possible voice uh, for the president of the United States as we go into 2020. What lessons have you learned in your work as spokesperson that others could use? You know, I think one of the most important lessons uh, you learn in this role is that the media will do its best uh, to distract from the issues. Uh, the goal of much of the media, not all, but a large portion, uh, is to put uh, the president in a negative light, to uh, place him in a defensive posture. And it's very easy to get caught up in the day-to-day Washington power game of who's in, who's out, palace intrigue, all of the collusion nonsense. And it's really important uh, to take the offense and always bring the conversation back to the issues because this president, each and every day, it seems like he's signing a different bill or executive order or doing something great. And those uh, really substantive achievements get lost if they're not pushed proactively out onto the airwaves. So I think that's one of the most important uh, pieces of advice I could give to surrogates out there is to constantly talk about the issues because that's what this is about at the end of the day, delivering for the American people. You have a legal academic background, you have a communications expertise, you have uh, your undergraduate degree was at the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown, if I'm correct. And I'm curious what skills or insights you have from your working on many campaigns and uh, all these different areas that you have devoted a lot of time and attention to, what skills or insights do you have that are valuable for our audience? You know, one of the things um, I think my background has allowed me to do, and it's really important uh, when you go into a television or radio segment or any conversation really where you're going to be discussing politics, uh, is to anticipate counter arguments. And you know this as being an attorney yourself, how crucial it is uh, to not just think, you know, first and foremost, the message you want to get out there, but number two, to anticipate the counter arguments that will inevitably come your way and be prepared uh, to give a response uh, to any of those given questions. So I I think one of the things uh, that I've learned is the media is unpredictable, as you know as well. Being in television, you go in thinking you're going to be discussing one topic and it changes <laughs> right. oftentimes uh, live while on air. So being able to respond, having a deep uh, knowledge of the issues uh, and anticipating those counter arguments, I think is absolutely crucial to having a successful career in communications and in politics. Right. I had an experience like that. We were live on air and the news broke that Nancy Reagan had passed away. And that was not something we could have prepped for before the show, obviously. But because I have been following politics as long as I can remember, I've read many, many books about Nancy Reagan and her relationship with Ronald Reagan. It was very easy to pull out interesting anecdotes from their lives together that was interesting to the audience. And I'm curious if you ever had a situation like that. Now, what is the most memorable one where uh, you came on to talk about, I don't know, the the unemployment rate and then something happened and, and it really changed your segment. You had to draw on prior knowledge that you had. Yeah, similar situation. Uh, in one case where I was supposed to go on um, America's Newsroom, uh, and just before going on the airwaves, news broke that um, that Billy Graham had passed away, and they said, can you still stick around and do the segment? Uh, and I said, of course. And, uh, you know, I was able to draw on my life and what he meant to me personally, and I was 
uh, fortunate enough to have gone to one of his crusades as a young girl and was able to share my personal experience and what Billy Graham meant to me. And likewise, more recently, uh, with Barbara Bush passing, uh, the same scenario where I was going on to talk about, you know, whatever the political issue was, but the news rapidly changed as we commemorated another great life. So uh, those are the kind of breaking news scenarios that you oftentimes see in media. And, uh, you know, it, it changes by the minute, by the second. Um, and having a lifetime of experience, like you noted, I think is very key uh, to succeeding and to being able to, uh, you know, swiftly change direction and talk about a subject you weren't prepared for. How does social media affect what you do? Well, social media makes everything uh, extremely rapid, especially because now the president uh, is someone who's out on social media in a very authentic way. Uh, you know, we're constantly uh, responding to what has become a faster news cycle. I think uh, this president being on social media, in addition to uh, news moving to Twitter and Facebook and other forums, mean that the news cycle is, is very quick. It's hard to keep pace with. Uh, I, I joke that, you know, I'll take an hour two hours to go get my hair done. And if you're not looking at your iPhone, you miss about, you know, four different news stories. That wasn't always the case. Uh, yeah, back when I was in college, you know, one news story, maybe two carried the day, oftentimes more than one day. But but now, uh, if you're not engaged, if you're not tuned in, if you're not locked in because of social media, uh, the news is just swiftly changing. A, a reporter who gets a nugget no longer has to write an entire story. Uh, they, they're incentivized to get that information out on Twitter and then go and write the full uh, story. But, but the the incentive is get it out, get it out quickly, which makes our job um, very much a rapid response job. How do you think it will shape the future of politics and news, the social media environment that we're in? I think uh, future politicians, and this is, I think, in part uh, because of social media, but in other part because of President Trump, I think politics has changed forever. I think there is now a call for authenticity, uh, and social media allows you know, commentators or um, TV hosts or sports figures who might previously have seemed untouchable uh, to be really relatable, especially those who take the time to share their health struggles or you know, their personal lives, their family lives, their hobbies their interests, uh, it makes the world smaller in a sense, and it makes uh, authenticity really the name of the game to either succeeding in media and to succeeding on the political front uh, to be as authentic as possible. I think that's what voters expect. It's what they demand, and it's uh, there's a clear contrast between the, the mannequin Hillary Clinton, uh, the, the politician, you know, kind of person who had poll tested her words and practiced them in the mirror, the mannequin politician versus the very authentic, uh, you know, president out there who's not ashamed if he misspells a word on Twitter. Right. That's a very big difference. I'm so glad you said that because it reminds me of Dan Quayle, who got into so much trouble for spelling potato, I think it was potato wrong. Right. Potato. And I'm, I'm curious if you watched any of the state funeral last week of George H.W. Bush and any of the commentary on it. Uh, there was a lot of pro, a lot of con. Seemed like the number one type of message that commentators were pushing was that George H.W. Bush was kind and gentle. And I wonder if you had any reaction to all of that. Yeah, that was certainly the case. What a beautiful funeral. And I think that it said so much about George H.W. Bush that in his last act of life, uh, he chose to unify the country. He welcomed President uh, he, President Trump to his funeral, President Obama, President, obviously, his son, George W. Bush. He brought everyone together. There was no one who was isolated. Uh, there were no political shots. And I think uh, one of the overwhelming takeaways I took from that uh, was just 
what animated his life was a deep faith. And, and I heard one commentator note that, you know, he always wished that he had been more vocal about his faith, uh, but he was from the Northeast and it was less discussed than, than maybe uh, some of the evangelical cultures where it's very outward focused. And I thought uh, when I heard uh, one of the eulogists say his reverend that Jesus Christ was at the heart of his faith, uh, I, I just thought that, wow, that makes sense that all of these great fruits I'm hearing about from George H.W. Bush, like flying down uh, to an elevator operator's funeral, White House elevator operator, and giving the eulogy uh, to being late to his reelection speech or, or potentially late to comfort a staffer whose uh, wife was diagnosed with cancer. I just think those fruits uh, came from a deeper inward faith. And I think that to hear that professed was a really beautiful thing to see in addition to the unity message that he delivered in his last act of life, which was planning his funeral. Speaking of that sermon at his funeral, you might remember the moment where the pastor was talking about on his last day that Secretary Baker was rubbing President Bush's feet and and the uh, sermonist called to mind Jesus washing his disciples' feet before the um, before Good Friday. And I don't know if you saw the camera coverage of that, but they panned the camera over to Secretary Baker and he bowed his head and just gently weeped. And I just thought, you know, what what a life, what a friendship, what a life of service. Absolutely. And that was a beautiful anecdote about, uh, you know, massaging his feet and absolutely recalling uh, the, the act, last act of Jesus with his disciples. And it was an act of service. And uh, it was a beautiful moment to watch. It was a beautiful reminder of how we should live our lives uh, by serving others and not losing sight of that being, you know, our central purpose here on earth. And you know, George H.W. Bush, despite being president, ambassador to the U.N., CIA director, vice president, congressman, head of the RNC, and so many other accolades, he never lost sight of the fact that he was a child of God and that it was his goal in life to serve others. And I think that that was a really positive, important message to hear, not just going into the Christmas season, uh, but just overall uh, for life as, as we approach our own lives and our own tasks on this earth. Well, you make a very important and great point that the funeral was an opportunity to not only unify the Republican Party, but also just all of us as Americans to have Democratic presidents and Republican presidents. I'm curious what you think about the Republican Party being a big tent. Obviously, politics is a game of addition and not subtraction. What is your sense as we are sort of moving into the new election season and the like people are starting to think about what's coming next, what the RNC is going to be doing. What do you see? What is your sense of, you know, finger on the pulse of what the plan is going to be? Well, this president has forever changed our party in a positive way. You know, the Republican Party uh, was not historically considered the party of blue-collar workers, but I think we officially have become just that, and it's because President Trump came in. He spoke directly to factory workers, to members of unions, and he said, I'm here. I'll fight for you. I will rectify our trade imbalances. I'll bring manufacturing jobs back. And in doing so and in providing that message, uh, there was, as two union members described to me, a a real mutiny against – of the rank and file against the union bosses who said, go vote Hillary, but a lot of the rank and file didn't do that. It's why President Trump won Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, key states. And he expanded our party, I think, for quite some time, uh, broadening our base uh, and reaching those manufacturers. 
uh, and manufacturing workers because under Obama, his final year, we had lost 16,000 manufacturing jobs. Now under President Trump, in, in two years, we've uh, we've built more than 400,000 manufacturing jobs. So a reversal in the trend and a pretty dramatic one. So he's expanded our party. It's really important that we take our message to suburban women going forward and bring our healthcare message to this group of individuals who's also very important to keep in our party going into 2020. But I think President Trump's done a pretty good job expanding our base and we're stronger than ever uh, going into the next two years. Speaking of that, thinking of Michigan and Wisconsin, these other states that the Hillary Clinton campaign did not even visit, I think they know now, the Democratic Party knows now that they cannot take these voters for granted or their support for granted. I would assume they're going to aggressively go after them in the next presidential campaign cycle. Uh, What do you think the best approach to making sure that, um, I mean, because it seems like the Democrats in part were were asleep at the switch Um, and it's just that, you know, taking people for granted. What, What do you think that the Republicans and the the independents who support President Trump can do to make sure that 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 area of support is shored up for the next presidential run. Well, I think we have to emphasize that the gains we've made should not be taken for granted. They can easily be reversed. Uh, And the quickest way to reverse them is uh, if President Trump does not win re-election, putting someone who will be a far leftist in the White House who will roll back our middle-class blue-collar tax cuts. They're not permanent at the moment. And the quickest way to make sure that they're temporary is to put a Democrat in the White House. uh, And likewise, to allow the Senate to be overtaken by Democrats like the House was in 2018. So we have to emphasize that it can't be taken for granted. Manufacturing was heading in a perilous direction. President Trump has been a fighter uh, for blue-collar workers, a fighter for the middle class, and we can't take that for granted because the next president, uh, should it not be Donald Trump, will not be someone fighting for the middle class. Uh, you know, the, the policies we're hearing from the left are socialist policies. They're failed policies. They failed all across the world, and I don't want to see uh, that kind of radical I- ideology brought to our shores, but should President Trump lose, you can rest assured that's the direction we're heading in. It's the same dangerous direction over the eight years of Obama where we saw the worst economic recovery post-World War II. So let's not allow that to, to retake the White House. You are a brave person. You go on TV all the time and radio shows, advancing positions. You face a lot of criticism online, maybe in your personal life too, um, as most people who are willing to stake out a position on a controversial issue, they, they you know, feel like um, certainly people feel free to tell them what they think about their opinions. Do you have a motto or a verse or any other thing that you use to, to undergird your courage in being out there and speaking on these issues that are so important to your fellow Americans? Well, certainly prayer. Um, I'm a Christian, and and that is very key to me. Um, And the serenity prayer, I think, is a a beautiful way to uh, be calm in the face of adversity. But also, I would note, um, in addition to my faith, um, Alan Combs, uh, who is at Fox News, he passed away, unfortunately, from the great show Hannity and Combs. He was a Democrat there. Uh, He became an unlikely mentor for me. And I say unlikely because it's not often a Democrat uh, mentors a, a young Republican 
and uh, all the way back from when I was an intern. And when I was on the set of CNN, he used to text me and or uh, Facebook message me rather, and I'd be on those eight-person panels, and he would say, yeah. Kaylee, remember, don't fight fire with fire, fight fire with water. And so I've always remembered that phrase, and I think it served me well going through CNN and through my career now. Uh, that reminder from the great Alan Combs uh, that the best way to fight fire is with water um, and uh, to be gentle, and the viewer recognizes that. And, and uh, for sure, the main comment that I used to get going through airports in the 2016 election was from people saying, I don't support what you say, but I like the way you say it. And I can credit that to Alan Combs. That is a beautiful memory. Thank you so much, Kaylee, for joining us today. Thanks so much, Gail. This is Gail Trotter. Like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram, and subscribe to my YouTube channel and support this show on Patreon. This is Right in D.C. You're Right in D.C. with Gail Trotter.